0: This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. everyone. alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. First of all, I want to welcome you all that are joining either through YouTube or Facebook. Alhamdulillah rabbil alamin. I'm very excited about our webinar tonight and of course more excited about the series inshallah ta'ala that we have prepared for you that is coming out which is season 2 of the Angels series ta'ala. Now some of you may have noticed a title change. The first season was angels in your presence. The second season is angels in their presence. And so many have asked, what is the difference? And the difference is that angels too is going to be about angels with the sahaba of the Prophet, which of course is a form of miracle, something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon these righteous people. Some of them, their names are well known to us, other sahaba their names are not really that well known to us and some of them are actually unnamed in the texts. However, the narrations about them are authentic. So Allah Azza wa honored many people from that generation with certain interactions with the angels and we can draw lessons from all of those interactions with Nillahi Ta'ala. So I want to remind you before I get started tonight inshallah Ta'ala to please sign up inshallah Ta'ala for the series and invite others to sign up as well Insha'Allah Ta'ala, it will be exclusively streaming for those who sign up insha'Allah ta'ala. So sign up and there will be some other things that we'll talk about towards the end. So why this particular topic about the miracles of the awliya? Is it just a catchy subject that we wanted to do a webinar on? No, I actually wanted to go over the subject to set the theological basis for this idea of the miracles of the awliya, the miracles of the righteous, the companions being, the most righteous of the righteous as a generation, okay? And in doing so, inshallah ta'ala, this is not just going to be a webinar with some stories. There are certainly some stories that we will go over in the webinar itself before the season starts. But also, you know, set some basic concepts, inshallah ta'ala, that can help us also refute some of the misguided notions of miracles, right? And the misguided tools of deception, or rather misguiding tools of deception that abuse some of these concepts that we find in our tradition inshallah ta'ala. So we're going to separate between what is authentic according to the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam and what has been innovated over time and how we can make sure that we can distinguish between the two. And of course, from a Yaqeen perspective in terms of certainty, yu'minuna bil those who believe in the unseen. And so these are things that involve both the unseen and the seen because they connect the two. As the scholars mentioned, when it comes to miracles, there is a a transition between the unseen and the seen that is unusual. And in that inshallah ta'ala is something for us to reflect upon. So I actually want to start off with a story inshallah ta'ala and then we'll get into the concepts. And this is a story about one of the most famous karamat, one of the most famous miracles that we find in our tradition. And it involves a man by the name of Abu Muslim Al-Khawlani Rahimahullah ta'ala. Abu Muslim was a tabi'i. He was not from the companions of the Prophet sallallahu but rather from the second generation. And he lived in Yemen. And when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi passed away, there were multiple false prophets that arose. Of course, the most famous one is Musaylama al Kadab, Musaylama the liar, who certainly uh, wreaked the most havoc upon this Ummah. And you know, there, there was much bloodshed and uh, even worse than that, a lot of delusion and deception that took place because of Musaylama. There's another na- man by the name of Al-Aswad Al-Ansi, and he, Al Aswad, was in Yemen at the time and claiming prophethood, actually, even before the Prophet وسلم, passed away. And then, of course, extended that and went on to be a brutal leader and someone who employed all sorts of tactics to make his claim to prophethood. And so he had this mysterious aura. He called himself, you know, or he was called Dhul Khimar, uh, the veiled prophet, because he used to be behind a veil at all times. And uh, you know his his tactics and his tricks involved uh, doing things with his donkeys, you know, allowing his donkeys to respond to certain commands. And so his nickname became Dhul-Himar, uh the one of the donkey. Why? Because that was you know the extent, for the most part, of the quote unquote miracles that he was performing. So you have the false miracles of a false prophet, and then you have a person who refuses to believe in him by the name of Abu Muslim Al Khawlani, rahimahullah ta'ala. So at aswad as he claimed prophethood, he commanded Abu Muslim, being a great scholar, to testify that he was also a prophet of God. And when Abu Muslim refused to testify to his prophethood, he ordered that a fire be lit in front of the people and that he would throw Abu Muslim into the fire, rahimahullah ta'ala. So it sounds very similar to what? The test of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And of course, this was the way of these false prophets, right? Uh, they were masquerading as prophets for the sake of political power. And so they used you know, political force and, and harm to try to coerce people into following them. And so he brings forth Abu Muslim, rahimahullah ta'ala, and he has him thrown into that fire and Abu Muslim al-Khawlani, rahimahullah ta'ala, walks right out of that fire, completely unharmed. And so some of the ministers of al-Aswad al-Ansi, who of course know that he's a false prophet, they tell him, listen, if you don't expel him from this place, if you don't get him out of Yemen, then he's going to be a fitna for the people. He's going to be a tribulation. He's gonna basically foil the plot for us. And so we have to get rid of him. So he expelled him out of Yemen. He told him, get out of here. Abu Muslim, rahimahullah ta'ala, made his way to the Medina of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi the city of the Prophet, sallallahu And he goes to Al-Madina, and when he gets to Medina, He simply gets off of his camel and he enters into Masjid Al-Nabawi, the Masjid of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam and he starts to perform prayer. Umar ibn khattab radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu who was the Khalifa at the time, he sees him. So he comes to him and he says to him, where are you from? And he says, from Yemen. He said, have you heard about the man who the kathab, who the liar threw into the fire? So Abu Muslim, in his humility, in his righteousness, he says to him, yes, his name was Abdullah. <laughs> so he doesn't tell him that that was actually me. He says his name was Abdullah. So Umar ta'ala anhu said, say to me by Allah, are you that man? Are you actually that man? So he said that he is that man. And Umar ibn al Khattab radiAllahu ta'ala anhu who never, uh, who never met him before, he embraces him and he starts to cry. And he says to him, Alhamdulillah, all praises be to Allah, who did not take my soul until I met a man from this Ummah to whom was done what was done to Ibrahim Alayhi So I met a man from the Ummah of Muhammad SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam who was afflicted in the way that Ibrahim Al Khalil Alayhi Salaam, the friend of God was afflicted and given a miracle like the miracle of Ibrahim Al Khalil Alayhi salam. And actually this was in the time of Abu Bakr as siddiq ta'ala anhu that this happened in al Medina. The point being that Umar ta'ala anhu knew that there would be something like this. And he was informed by the Prophet SallAllahu Wasallam and so he wanted to meet this man. And when he met this man, this is what happened. Of course, we know of a similar story with Uais al-Qarni uh, rahimahullah Ta'ala, who the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi gave the bushra about, gave the glad tidings about, and Umar ta'ala Anhu would meet him uh, later on. So there's so much to extract from the story to actually lay the foundation for the concepts. You had a false prophet that was using false miracles, the illusion of miracles, to delude the people, okay? And you have a righteous wali of Allah, one of the awliya, one of the righteous, who had a miracle that was done for him by Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? There was no deception here. There was no verbal, you know, illusion. It was just Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala blessing this righteous servant of His, and He did not use that miracle to attain anything of this dunya. He wanted nothing from this world as a result of that miracle. Not even fame in the sight of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He could have boasted to Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he could have come into Medina, called for Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and Umar radiallahu anhu, and Uthman and Ali, may Allah be pleased with them all, and said, I am that man from Yemen, and this happened to me. But instead, he was a humble servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who chose to hide his miracle, but because of his righteousness, the same righteousness that Allah bestowed a miracle on him for, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused his miracle to be known by the companions of the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So with that, let's get into this idea insha'Allah ta'ala. When we talk about the miracles of the awliya, the miracles of the righteous, let's be clear that there are two extremes when it comes to the understanding of visible miracles. And uh, there's actually a good book uh, that I used, and I'll mention some of the quotes from that book uh, that was written by Imam Min rahimahullah ta'ala called Al-Furqan Baina Awliya Ar-Rahman Wa Awliya al shaytan the criteria or the, distinguish, the distinction between the awliya of Ar-Rahman, the friends of Ar-Rahman, the friends of the most merciful, and the awliya of the Shaytan, the friends of the devil. And so he talks about the difference between the types of people that receive these miracles, the difference between true miracles and false miracles, the plots of the past and the indications for the future. And it is a very good book uh, in which he distinguishes between the two. And so, yes, in an era specifically now where you have more tools of deception and you have more deceivers because of a lack of taqwa as well as advancement in technology, so a lack of taqwa with advancement in technology, you have to be more suspicious, right? You're going to have more people that are going to make false claims. You're going to have more visible forms of dajala, right? Deception, realize that al-Masih al-Dajjal, when he comes, right? He utilizes the maximum of this, right? To, to, uh, to deceive people's eyes so that he can get them to do certain things for him, to believe in him and to follow him and to do certain things for him. And so you're going to have more of that as time goes on because you have a combination again of a lack of taqwa and an increase in technology. And sometimes it's going to be innocent, right? How many times do you see you know, these these deep fakes and these WhatsApp videos and certain YouTube videos that even will you know exaggerate certain things that are Islamic in their nature, right? So uh, a so-called miracle that is seen and, and recorded and filmed, then it's put online and it goes viral. And the deen doesn't need that type of deception. We don't need that type of deception, right? We don't need to have that in order to prove our religion. That's not how the faith is established, okay? So you're going to have more of that and particularly, you're going to have people with bad intentions that try to use the idea of miracles happening to them to denote a certain type of righteousness for them by which they can escape, you know, being held to the, the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the standards of faith that have already been set for us by the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam who had the greatest miracle of the Qur'an and many other miracles that were bestowed upon him. And so that's why you find Alayth ibn Sa'd, uh, Ta'ala, Great teacher of Imam Malik, rahimahullah. he said, He said, Look, if you see a person walking on water, you see a man walking on water, do not be amazed by him or impressed by him until he follows the Quran and the Sunnah. Meaning, you still hold him to the Quran and the Sunnah, the standard of the Quran and the Sunnah. He's still responsible for following the rules, the parameters, the usul, the proper methodology of extraction from the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. His walking on water does nothing to prove anything. And Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala, when he heard that, he said, qassar al layth rahimahullah ta'ala. He said that al was right, but he could have gone even farther. He says, bal idha rajula yamshi 'ala al-ma." he said, if you see someone walking on water, الهواء, Even if he's flying in the air. Okay, even if a person just starts to levitate and fly in the air and do all types of things and all types of stunts. fala Do not be deceived by that person until you weigh what they follow in accordance with the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so that's something that remains a principle for us when it comes to false miracles for nefarious reasons. And this, these types of antics have existed throughout history from the very beginning, right? We mentioned Al Aswad, and here you have, uh, you know, as you go through the books, you find a man by the name of Al Harith al Dimashqi, for example, who used to touch rocks, and they start to say Tasbih uh, when he touched these rocks, or that's what he made it appear uh, as such. And of course, he claimed prophethood, and this was in the time of Abd al Malik ibn Marwan you had the the firewalkers in the time of Ibn Taymiyyah himself also in Damascus the people that would walk into fire and walk out of fire claiming that they were like Abu Muslim and Ibrahim Alayhi salam, and of course Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah exposed those people so this is throughout history and false prophets have continued to uh, to show themselves throughout history literally every generation of the muslims has had at least one person claim prophethood since the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and usually multiple people that actually command significant followings that claim prophethood uh, after the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there's some sort of optical illusion, some sort of deception that takes place in regards to that. So what's the what, What's also a difference between the criteria here and the nature of the people? Ali ibn Abi Talib ta'ala anhu when he says, awliya'ahu ibadihi, Allah has hidden his awliya, his righteous ones. Amongst his slaves. And so you don't know, fala tadri مَن تلقاه, you don't know when you meet someone who is a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't know if you're meeting a wali of Allah because the awliya of Allah are not boastful people. They don't go around claiming to be awliya of Allah. They're people that in secrecy have developed a strong connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have a special and unique relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of righteousness. If they were to try to use and claim a status that would give them worldly benefit, that is the easiest way to detect that they are actually not awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's one extreme of people in regards to these miracles. And I wanted to get that out of the way in the beginning before we go into the the actual way that we can inshallah ta'ala approach this. The other extreme, of course, are those that denied karamat altogether. They denied the entire, you know, uh, uh, basis, theological basis of miracles happening to people that are not prophets of Allah. And and this is a unanimous uh, concept amongst Ahl-Sunnah, but uh, you did have sects very early on that went to the other extreme. And on the basis of rationality, they ended up denying it altogether, similar to their denial of adab al-Qabr and some of the scenes of the grave and, and the reward and the punishment of the grave and other things, right? And and you start to see, you know, there's a trend. Once people start to deny, you know, things on the basis of uh, rationality that are well established from Allah and the Messenger SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, then at that point, it's only a matter of time before they start to deny the sunnah itself, the authority of the sunnah, and then deny the Quran itself. So it always starts with, you know, using some of these concepts and abusing them. And that is not to say that we don't have room in our deen uh, for the aql, of course we do, for the intellect, it's a big part of our deen. But once you start to violate the established parameters and then you start to get into al ghayb, right? And uh, the knowledge of the unseen. When it comes to the knowledge of the unseen in particular, uh, these are things that do not require us to have to rationalize, but rather we believe because of what Allah and the Messenger SallAllahu have told us through these means of divine revelation. So. That's also the other extreme, right? Well, I can't see it, so I don't really believe it. Or this all seems like hocus pocus. I don't believe in any of this stuff. And of course, then you'll start to say, I don't believe in angels, I don't believe in this, I don't believe in that. And then the ultimate ending of that is, well, I don't believe in Allah because I can't see Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala. So that's where that can lead to and it can become very problematic. So the other extreme is of course, none of this is true, right? There's no idea of karamat, no idea of miracles happening to the righteous. So let's talk about, inshaAllah ta'ala, what our position should be and what the theological basis of these karamats are and what the implications are. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu amanu. Allah is the wali of the believers. And so the scholars mention that when you talk about wilayah, closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and being a friend of God, there are layers of that. And so the least of awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the believers in the general sense. Right, the believers as a whole are the awliya of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala in the general sense. The greatest of the awliya are actually not the companions, they're the prophets themselves. The prophets themselves are the greatest of the awliya of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala. And so you have this, this spectrum when you're talking about wilayah, when you're talking about closeness and righteousness, one part of it, which is not accessible to us at all, which is of course being prophets of Allah, right? And then you have after them, the best of the believers, right? And so, as a generation that becomes the companions of the Prophet. Now, wilaya, which is to be sought, karamat, miracles are not to be sought, and we'll talk about that. Wilaya is to be sought. To be a friend of Allah, to be counted amongst the special friends of Allah, is to be sought. Wilaya only comes through following the Prophet's example, alayhi salatu wasalam. And the miracles, the karamat of the awliya are merely samples of the mu'jizat, the miracles of the prophets of Allah. So I'm gonna say that again, you can't attain wilaya except by going through the example of the greatest awliya of Allah being the prophets. You can't attain any notion of it without that. And the miracles that Allah chooses to bestow on some of his awliya, some of his righteous friends, are only samples of the miracles of the Prophets of Allah being the most righteous friends of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, And and there's something very profound uh, that some of the scholars have pointed out. For example, they said, if you look at Surah Maryam uh, versus Surah Al-Kahf, and some of the scholars said Surah Maryam is the Mu'jizat of the Prophets, the miracles of the Prophets, whereas Surah Al-Kahf is the Karamat of the Awliya or the miracles of the righteous people. People that were not Prophets, but that had miracles that were done for them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it is directly tied to their righteousness. So it's actually very beautiful when you actually start to compare, right? Surah Maryam giving us this access to this world of the prophets of Allah and the fact that miracles happen to them. And miracles happen to the prophets of Allah. Because of the same concepts of righteousness that are present today, right? If Rabbah, when he called upon his Lord, Zakaria alayhi when she had Tawakkul, when she relied upon her Lord, Maryam alayhi Okay, so you have miracles that are tied to the prophets, but also a clear, righteous, a clear catalyst of righteousness. And then Surah al-Kahf follows with the people of the cave, right? and Dul uh, And of course, there's debate over Al-Khadr alayhi salam, if he was a prophet, and it, it appears that he, he is a prophet indeed. Uh, but the point being that for the most part, the idea of karamat of awliya, of the righteous uh, the righteous uh, people in Surat al-Kahf that are not prophets and miracles are happening uh, for them. Some scholars also make this distinction. They say that the karamat of the awliya, the the miracles of the righteous are not done to challenge others, and it does not necessarily happen by the, by the person requesting it to happen, contrary to the miracles of the prophets. So the prophets come with very specific miracles that are meant to serve as a challenge to the people and help uh, you know, uh, certify or serve as a proof a means of proof for their claim to prophethood. Okay, so that's also one distinction that's made. And as some of the scholars also mention, the magnitude of karamat, is not like the magnitude of the mu'jizat of the Anbiya. The magnitude of the miracles of the righteous is not like the magnitude of the miracles of the prophets. And so, when you look at Isa Alayhi uh raising you know the dead, right? Or, or blowing life into a lifeless bird, or what happened with Ibrahim Alayhi salam, also with the birds, right? And then them coming back to life uh, with Ibrahim Alayhi salam, the splitting of the moon, and of course the Quran, the miracles of the prophets, the splitting of the sea, right? What happened with Musa alayhi salam and his staff and the drowning of the army of Fir'aun. The magnitude of those miracles is an entirely different level than the magnitude of the miracles of the righteous and pious people that come after. So what's our process? How do we start to grow in that spectrum of wilaya and becoming those close friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to where, you know, uh, we may encounter some of these things, even though that's not the sought-out goal. Allah says, "Ala inna Allah la, wa la Verily, the pious worshippers of Allah, the friends of Allah, la They have no fear upon them, wa Nor will they grieve. amanu wa Those who believe and they have taqwa. They are God-conscious. Okay, those who have iman and taqwa." They have belief and they have God consciousness. As a result, for them are glad tidings in this life. Okay, so this is where we start to see another uh, basis for the notion of karamat, of these miracles that happen to them. They have the glad tidings in this life and in the hereafter. And there is no changing exchange for the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and indeed that is the great success. So, here we find that Allah describes the awliya very specifically in the Quran as al-mu'minun al-atqiya' believers that also excel in taqwa, excel in God consciousness. They are highly attentive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and hence Allah is highly attentive to them, right? So they pay specific attention to the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as a result, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows upon them things that are beautiful, right? And that are that are very powerful, uh, that denote or that confirm some of their righteousness. And so you have the combination of iman and taqwa. Some of the scholars say iman is tarq shirk. Iman, belief, is to abandon shirk, is to abandon the worship of anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taqwa is tarkul maasi taqwa is the abandonment of sin okay so iman is the abandonment of shirk taqwa is the abandonment of sin the disobedience of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so when you combine those two then a person is mu'min and taqi a person is a believer and a person is someone who is highly righteous attentive to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conscious of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highly pious and that's when a person starts to ascend the ranks of the awliya. This is of course confirmed by the hadith of the Prophet SallAllahu uh, where he says that Allah Azza has said, بالحرب, Whoever takes one of my friends, one of my awliya as an enemy, then I have waged war against that person. And Allah Azza goes on to say, وما تقرب And my servant does not come close to me with anything more beloved to me than the obligations. It starts with the obligations. It starts with the same things that every believer has to do. You never reach a point of righteousness where you don't have to pray anymore, or you don't have to do the fasting anymore and the basics anymore. You don't have to go to Jumu'ah anymore because what am I gonna benefit from the khutbah? You never reach these places, okay? What is fard remains fard. So you're not gonna come close to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala with anything. More beloved to him than observing the obligations and avoiding the things that he has made uh, categorically prohibited. And then وَلَا yazalu abdi إِلَيَّ بالنوافل, and then my servant continues to draw close to me with the voluntary deeds. So first it's the obligations, it is the wajibat, and the you know the obligations as well as the things mustahabbat. So You have the wajibat, the obligatory things, and I'm sorry, the wajibat and leaving off the things that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala has made haram. So first observing the obligations and abandoning the prohibitions. And then you have a person observing the things that are mustahab and leaving off the things that are makrooh. So then that person goes into the voluntary where they start to replace those acts of disobedience with extra acts of obedience. And they start to abandon even things in the gray area, okay, that might lead to disobedience or that resemble acts of disobedience or they're not pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's dislike in them. Okay, so they start off with, as the scholars mentioned, wajibat and leaving off the the the, uh, the obligations and leaving off the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made prohibited. And then they go to observing the mustahabbat and leaving off the things that are makruh, doing the things that are recommended, and leaving off the things that are merely disliked. Allah Jalla says, Hatta uhibba. until I love that person. A special love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then has for that person. Because you're not going to come close to Allah with any of these things, except that He's going to come closer to you. Qala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so if I love that person, kuntu سَمَعَهُ يَسْمَعُ بِهِ then I become the hearing with which that person hears. And the sight with which that person sees. And the hand with with which that person strikes. And the foot with which that person walks. And at that point, when that person gets to that point. When they ask me something, I will give them what they ask. And if they seek refuge with me, then I will surely grant that person refuge. And so when Allah loves a person, how does this now relate to the very specific karama of the presence of angels? When Allah loves a person, what happens? He announces it to Jibreel alayhi salam. And we all know this hadith, right? And Jibreel Alayhi salam loves that person as well. And Jibreel announces it to the angels in the heavens and they love that person as well, right? And then kabul acceptance is made for that person on the earth as well. So when Allah loves a person, then all the angels will love that person, right? And then when that person loves Allah, what happens? That person is going to do the things that the angels love to be around and witness. All right, so Allah and the angels love that person. And then that person loves the deeds that the angels love because it brings about the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that person naturally becomes surrounded by the angels of Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la, surrounded by the malaika. And certain things happen. So the miracles that happen regarding the angels with these righteous people are just a form of the karamat, a form of the miracles that are related to that person's righteousness before all else. That person's uh, Wilaya before all else, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst them. Allahumma Amin. The scholars then categorize why do miracles happen uh, for a person. Number one, either it is a hujjah in the deen, a proof in the religion as that person is calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's something with their da'wah to the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to that person that confirms their da'wah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, the scholars say, is to give that person victory over their enemies. And so this is the majority of the miracles, the karamat that we see happening uh, with the companions as they were fighting off their persecutors, as they were fighting uh, against the Quraysh and what was happening to them, the battle of Badr, which we'll talk about in great detail, right? This is where you find the majority of those karamat, the majority of those miracles, and they're not always related to the angels, right? So if you've been following the first series, we talked about Ukasha radiAllahu ta'ala anhu and one of the miracles that took place with him. Number three, they say, al-shidda, to remove harm from that person, to remove harm from that person. So a miraculous uh, form of healing or something that happens to the person in that regard. Number four, as a means of extraordinarily honoring them, such as the case of Maryam alayhi salam. And of course, there's debate over whether Maryam is a prophet or one of the awliya, merely one of the greatest of the awliya. Um, But when Allah honored her with with food out of season, we'll see that happening to one of the companions as well that we'll talk about in this series inshallah ta'ala. So that is the fourth thing, when Allah wants to honor that person. Number five, to make an example out of them, which is the case of Ashabul Kahf, the sleepers of the cave, okay? So these are the five things that the scholars mention. A hujja in the deen, number one, which is in da'wah, a proof in the religion. Number two, victory, to give them victory. Number three, to remove something harmful from them. Number four, to honor them. Number five, to make an example out of them. And of course that's not exclusive to some of the other categories above when we talk about the fifth category in particular. And so no generation collectively had more awliya than the Sahaba of the Prophet. ﷺ. There is no generation that had more people as a generation than the companions of the Prophet ﷺ that fit into this category of the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that's why you're going to see all sorts of miracles that happen with the companions of the Prophet ﷺ as a consequence of their righteousness. And most of it is in the capacity directly tied to serving the Prophet. ﷺ. So there's, there's a secondary reason as well. So no generation had more awliya than them. And of course they are the most righteous generation, period, right? The Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi mentions that if you were to spend you know Uhud and gold, you would never reach their righteousness. Allah has declared that he is pleased with the companions of the Prophet And so you're not gonna find a generation with more awliya than them. Hence, you're not gonna find a generation from the Ummah of Muhammad SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam with more karamat, with more miracles than them. And what also is important in this regard, especially for the purpose of the series that we're doing, is that the Prophet ﷺ was amongst them to confirm and contextualize their miracles and encounters. Of course, this is for the majority of them, not all of them, because some of the karamat happened, the miracles happened to them after the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But most of them, they went to the Prophet ﷺ and they asked the Prophet. ﷺ, what happened, and he explained to them what had actually uh, happened to them. Sometimes it was they're witnessing a miracle with the Prophet ﷺ himself. And that is, of course, a gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows on a few, right? That they're able to witness the Prophet ﷺ in an encounter with Jibreel, ﷺ, right? Or something that Allah sends to comfort the Prophet, ﷺ, or to be on the receiving end of a miracle of the Prophet. ﷺ. And so, you know, seeing, for example, when the Prophet wasalam, was sitting, and uh Jibreel alayhi wasalam, comes to him and says to him, Ya Rasulullah, do you want us to show you a sign? And he says, Yes, and he looks to a tree, and Jibreel Alaim tells the Prophet wasalam, to call the tree to him, the tree coming to him, and telling the tree to go back, right? And this being a form of comforting the Prophet, or when they saw the tree that the Prophet wasalam, used to lean against and give khutbah under and it cried when the prophet left that tree right so there's the miracles that were being witnessed by them then there is being on the receiving end and and there are uh, categories here where you have those that for example ate from the hands of the prophet when the prophet put his hands in food and the food became more plentiful right so what could have only fed one person feeds a hundred people and of course you have to be of a certain level to be blessed with that but then you have the specific miracles like when the Prophet وسلم, uses his saliva and it cures the eyes of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu on the eve of Khaybar. Uh, another one that that's not as common is the story of Salam ibn al aqwa ta'ala Anhu who uh, had the mark of, of, of a blow, a, a big wound on his shin. And he was asked, what is that, that wound on your shin? And he said, it was a, a wound that I suffered on the day of Khaybar. And the people said that Salama was wounded. So the Prophet SallAllahu came to me and he blew on it three times. And he said, I never noticed it until now, right? It left nothing on me. Like there was no pain after the Prophet SallAllahu blew on it until now. Or the narration, you know, we know the narration of the woman that came to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi and said that she was suffering from epilepsy, that she would have seizures and then she would fall. And when she would fall, a takashaf, then she would be exposed. And she asked the Prophet ﷺ for a cure. And the Prophet ﷺ said, If you want, I can ask Allah subhanahu wa to cure you and He will cure you. Or you can be patient and you are guaranteed Jannah. So she took, of course, Jannah, but she said, Ya Rasulullah, can you ask Allah subhanahu wa that when I fall, right, that I don't that, that I'm not amongst those that are exposed, right? that?" I still am able to maintain my aura, my hijab when this happens. And the Prophet said yes. And of course, in that case, she did not lose out on the reward. Now there's another narration where a man came to the Prophet and he was blind, and he asked the Prophet to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that his blindness go away. And the Prophet said, if you wish, I'll make dua for you, and the blindness will go away, or you can be patient, and that's better for you. The man said, Ya Rasulullah, can you make dua that Allah cures me of my blindness? And the Prophet وسلم, did, and he recovered his sight. So that's not the story that you often hear because there's a powerful lesson uh, for us in the first one, but that's also one of those miracles that you're on the receiving end with the Prophet. You also have narrations such as the two companions that Anas mentioned were walking with the Prophet. And it was a dark night. And as they were coming back from the masjid, Allah blessed them to have lights on their sticks, right? They were led by two lights that were like lamps. I'm sorry, actually, it's not uh, the sticks in particular, but they had these two lights that were leading them and going in front of them and lighting the way in front of them. And when they parted, each one of them still had a light that was guiding them back to their homes. And so this is in a Bukhari. Sawra hatta ahlahu. Right. So the idea that every one of them or each one of them still had this miraculous light that was guiding them back to their homes. So you have those, and then you have the miracles of the sahaba in general, and those are not necessarily with the Prophet Wasallam, uh, such as the miracle of Umm Aiman عنها, uh, who we spoke about in detail in the first who. On the Hijrah, um, you know, it's narrated that she almost died of thirst, and uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala gave her a bucket where, where that was suspended in the air, and she drank from that bucket until her thirst was quenched. And she said she never felt thirsty again in her life. So during the Hijrah, she looks up and she sees this bucket of water that is suspended from the heavens, and she drinks from it, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala blessed her to never be thirsty again. Uh, you have the most famous, one of the most famous incidents perhaps in this regard, Umar ibn Khattab radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu when he was giving khutbah and his commander was in Persia. And as Umar radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu is speaking, he says, Ya Saria, al-Jabal, O Sariya watch the mountain. O Sariya watch the mountain. So Umar radiAllahu Anhu is in Medina and Saria is leading an expedition in Persia. And Saria. Afterwards, months later says, we heard the voice of Umar bin al-Khattab radiAllahu ta'ala anhu saying, Ya Sariyah, O sariya, the Jabal, the mountain. And we saw behind us that there were people trying to attack us from behind the mountain, but instead we protected ourselves and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, defeated our enemies. So that's one of the karamat as well. Or uh, uh, you find uh, from Khalid bin Walid ta'ala anhu, uh, drinking poison and it not harming him. Uh, a very beautiful one that i've spoken about when speaking about salman al-farisi radiAllahu ta'ala anhu that when the sahaba went to uh went to iraq and they reached the the tigris river and the persians were the persian empire was on the other side and the sahaba had to make a decision whether or not they should go into it or not and salman radiAllahu ta'ala anhu saying لهم al-buhur kama لهم that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has subjected the water to them, just as he has subjected the land to them. And he takes Sa'ad عنه, by the hand, and 30,000 of the companions and the tabi'een of the Prophet, ﷺ, uh, or the companions of the Prophet, ﷺ, go into the Tigris River by foot and with their horses, and they did not lose anything from their belongings, right? Literally, 30,000 of the companions and the tabi'een entering into the river and coming out and nothing being lost from what they had. And this was a karama, a miracle that was given to them. After them, the tabi'een were full of karamat because they are next in righteousness after the companions of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi And most of it again is, is, you know, protecting them from their enemies. Imam Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala who was uh, being pursued by al-Hajjaj and the troops of Hajjaj reached him six times. And every time they reached him, he made dua to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala to make him unseen, invisible to them. And every single time Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala gave an Imam Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah what he had sought refuge in him for. Uwais al-Kharni, the multiple stories that are narrated about him, uh, you know, uh, that some of them are authentic, some of them are not authentic but uh, you know they proved the righteousness of him and miracles that took place for him. And of course, even the Prophet praised him, though the Prophet SallAllahu had never met him. So where does that leave us in conclusion? And inshallah ta'ala, this is something that's specifically pertinent to the person who's watching this that says, I want a karama, <laughs> you know, I want a miracle to happen with me. It would be really cool if a miracle happened to me. And then I could know, right? And I would have a greater sense of certitude. Most of the awliya of Allah do not have observable karamat that happened to them. Most of the pious friends of Allah do not have observable miracles that happen to them. And so it would be wrong to simply say that karama is the indicator of righteousness, that these miracles are the indicator of a person's righteousness. Righteousness is an indication of righteousness, not miracles. Righteousness is an indication of of righteousness, not miracles. And in in fact, as the scholars say, sometimes Allah may actually give a karama to wake someone up to their potential, not because they've arrived already at their peak piety. Okay, so sometimes you'll find that a person is slipping and Allah out of his love for that person, knowing what's in that person, gives him something that is miraculous, that brings him back, right? That confirms something uh, for him. Uh, and this is of course the, the case when it comes to righteous dreams, which is a form of prophethood that is left to us. Not that we become prophets when we see true dreams, but the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi mentioning that what remains of prophethood are true dreams that Allah gives to the believers. And as the end times come, the dreams become even more crystal clear and more precise to the righteous believers. And we find some people in the past that were not very righteous in the present circumstance, but Allah showed them a dream that woke them up and that led them to a path of righteousness. And so as the scholars mentioned, be a seeker of righteousness, not a seeker of karamat. Because your soul might want karamat, but your Lord commands of you righteousness. So pursue a course of righteousness, pursue that wilaya, and inshallah ta'ala, whatever comes of that is blessed. The same way with the dream of the Prophet I understand how much you want to see a dream of the Prophet Sallallahu We all want to see the Prophet Sallallahu in a dream, and it is indeed a great blessing. But don't live your life pursuing a dream of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Live your life pursuing the companionship of the Prophet Sallallahu in paradise. And there are ways to do that, right? That are very practical and that give us something to, you know, to pursue Allah with for our entire lives. And so as we come to the series, Dear Brothers and Sisters of Angels 2, if we're not supposed to be pursuing karamat, and we're talking about the karamat of the Sahaba, is this just entertainment? No, absolutely not. Why did I choose to do this series? Because just like everything else with the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi there's something instructive in their examples. And even with the Prophets of Allah, as we said, there were qualities, that warranted some of the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon them. And so when we talk about angels with the companions of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, I want you to actually make connections between season one and season two, because everything that happened to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam and his companions with regard to the angels, whether it is protection or piety or a bestowal of honor upon them or some sort of encounter interaction, it has to do with the qualities that we elaborated on from the Prophetic ahadith in season one, right? The remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the recitation of the Quran, the pursuit of a course of righteousness and taqwa and piety, and you know, hanging on when other people are letting loose, insisting upon your deen when other people are giving up their deen. And so every one of these stories has something, even if it's just a dua, and even if it's just a confirmation of the very idea that Allahu Amanu, Allah Subh'anaHu wa ta'ala, is the wali of those who believe. And so inshallah ta'ala, I hope that you'll watch this series with your families inshallah ta'ala. It's something that everyone in the family can benefit from, right? You can watch this with your children. You can share this with your friends. Everyone can benefit from the series inshallah ta'ala. And as you watch these episodes, don't just marvel at them and say, that was amazing and what a great thing that happened to that great person! Ask yourself, what quality can I extract from this, that perhaps, perhaps, I can also ascend in the sight of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and be with those people in the al ala with our Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So watch it, Inshallah Taala, benefit from it. I want to remind you all, Inshallah Taala, to please sign up for it. This is going to be streaming exclusively, Inshallah Taala, at the link that you sign up for, Inshallah Taala. And ta'ala, towards the end, <clears throat> I'll also, um, you know, share some notes with you inshallah ta'ala, and we might even have an exclusive Q&A session inshallah. It is free, of course, is everything that we do, but you still have to sign up this time inshallah ta'ala. So it's not Ramadan, but inshallah ta'ala, it'll take you back to Ramadan, that special Ramadan that we had. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live to see Ramadan and may Allah grant us righteousness throughout the year in Ramadan and outside of Ramadan. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us to be amongst those awliya of Allah. And may Allah grant us the companionship of our beloved Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, his family and his companions, in the al A'la, Allahumma Ameen. Allahu khayran to you all for joining tonight. Wassalamu alaikum wa wabarakatuh. Back in Medina, the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam is sitting with the companions. And suddenly the Prophet SallAllahu he, Alaihi Wasallam, he shakes as if something happens. The angels started to come to me. I would come to my house and they would greet me at my door, and then they would even come to me when I would lay in bed and they would greet me at the head side of my bed. The way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected these companions, we felt their presence arrive in the skies. He said, "That was the angels. They came close because of your recitation." He said, la asbahat nas la tatawara Suddenly, I saw a man coming forward, and he had a spear, and at the tip of that steel spear was fire. Now, what does it mean to say that an angel wiped your face? Did angels appear in any other fashion? that he is being washed by the angels between the heavens and the earth. And he says, when you called out, O oh most merciful of those who show mercy, I was in the seventh heaven.